Welcome to the alumni episode of the 2021-22 Roden Fellow Podcast. I'm your host, Calvin Sykes, a sports management graduate student at the number one public HBCU in the country, Florida A&M University. It's only right that I'm hosting this episode because I am the one and only of the 2021-22 Roden Fellows that has actually graduated so far. And yes, I was a part of Florida A&M's first COVID class. So shout out to all the Rattlers that graduated during that time. I have the pleasure of being joined by Rodent Fellow Keon Cage from Hampton University, who is the producer of this episode. What's up, everyone? What's up, Calvin? Rodent Fellow Alexis Davis from North Carolina A&T. Hey, hey, everyone. And lastly, Rodent Fellow Kiana Robinson from Hampton University. Hey, everybody. We all know the greatest word to an HBCU student or a graduate is homecoming. For some, it's a week of events creating long-lasting memories that you'll remember. For alumni, it's a family reunion to rekindle and catch up with classmates, line sisters, line brothers, marching band members. So whatever you do, homecoming is a magical experience that can't be put into words. So now with homecoming really in the middle of it approaching, I want to bring Keon in this conversation to talk about possibly what has been his favorite memory of homecoming so far in his undergrad experience. Well, appreciate that, Calvin. Man, you remind me how old I'm getting. This is my last homecoming. So, like, I had to think, like, man, I got to live it up, you know. But my favorite memory is just uh, the tailgate, seeing all D9 uh, on the yard, seeing all D9 congregate in that uh, parking lot, you know, going, going to the Alpha 10, going to the Q10 while I was a freshman. But it's just being a part, uh, a lot of free food, uh, you know, just catching up with meeting new people. I actually met Justin Tinsley, who's a uh, who's a member of Alpha Fraternity Incorporated and uh, through through that tent. So like I met a, meet a lot of people at homecoming. Um, so I guess now me and you share that commonality of, you know, being members of Divine Nine. I'm myself a member of Kappa Alpha Psi Fraternity Incorporated. Um, so briefly explain to people what that's like being a Divine Nine member at homecoming. Well, of course, uh, I'm part of the Gamma Elder Chapter Alpha Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. Uh, it's just a like a expectation, you know. A lot of people looking to for you to like have make like we're the heart of homecoming almost. There we're expected to make things lit. We're expected to host the tailgates, be a part of step shows, and do the strolls, stroll offs. It's it's a lot of expectation. It's really fun, but just seeing the other side of it, just seeing the practices that's put in to put on these shows, it just it makes me appreciate appreciate everything a lot more. So, Kiana, Alexis, how do you feel about this um, being your final homecoming of undergrad? Um, For me, I'm excited. Um, Unfortunately, they aren't allowing alumni to partake in a lot of the activities, I would say, on the fun side. Um, But they are allowing them to still come back and I guess you could say handle business similar to how FAMU has grads are back. Um, We also bring back um, different J school graduates to come and speak to our classes. Um, So I'm excited that they are still allowing that. But unfortunately, alumni are not allowed to take place to take part in the fun side of things i know for me personally it's bittersweet because this year is the year of the sun shout out to contestants 11 and 12 um so this is our homecoming really seniors and freshmen and all the contestants alumni but they won't be able to be here so that's a little bit sad and then it's also sad because it's just this is 
technically the first COVID homecoming. So not everything is going to be the same. And so far, I mean, it's been cool, but it just doesn't feel the same. So it's a little bit of bittersweet. I mean, you kind of mentioned what does you what do you mean by the sun? Um, because for people that don't go to Hampton, like I go to FAMU, so you got to explain what that term means to people that are listening. Yes. So one thing about Hampton, very traditional, we have three classes that every year goes by. So quintessence, onyx, and ogre fi ogre. So I'm quintessence, me and Keon are quintessence 11. Um, and yeah, every single year, the incoming freshmen are a different class as long as, um, as well as the seniors. Now we all know football kind of plays a big part into homecoming. Um, and before the season started, Pro Football Hall of Famer Deion Sanders' mission has been to increase the exposure of HBCU athletics. Since the arrival of Deion Sanders at Jackson State in September of 2020, all eyes have been on his program since his coaching debut last spring. Along with Sanders, Florida and and Bethune-Cookman became members of the SWAC in July. Media and spectators have called the SWAC the Super Conference. So with homecoming, it's time to get real realistic about the expectations of your team's outlook for the season. So now here to talk to me about the HBCU alumni experience is ESPN Black College play-by-play announcer and fourth-generation Rattler Tiffany Green. What up, what up? How we doing, everybody? Glad to be on this podcast. What up, Calvin, fellow Rattler? Hey, now. And former Southern football player and HBCU game, game day writer and host of Inside HBCU Football on the Black College Sports Network, BJ Jones. Hey, how you doing, Calvin? Well, good to see you, man. Uh, hello to everyone else uh, on the podcast. It's great to be around uh, HBCU greatness early this morning. Um, so now it's it's time to take you guys back. I, I like to call this a blast from the past. Um, so what was your favorite memory from undergrad at homecoming? BJ, he gonna call us out like that? Like like yeah. we're that old? <laughs> you, you, you feel, I feel some type of way about that. It ain't um, I, I would say for me, um, everything always starts with family. It's just core to who I am. And so, you know, being able to enjoy homecoming, and I know that sounds a little bit cheesy to some degree, but as I get older, I appreciate it all the more being around my family, right? So my grandmother, um, who's, you know, since passed on, but my mom, my dad, you know, everybody, my sisters, my cousins, my aunts and uncles, like literally it is a family affair. So that type of family reunion um, around our beloved university that never got old to me. Um, so you could pick any year uh, that I was around my family uh, in addition to my family. It didn't just didn't get much sweeter than that. Um, Calvin, I would say for me, uh, it would have been my first homecoming at Southern University. Uh, and the reason being uh, was not only, only was it homecoming, it was the opponent, which was Alabama A&M. Uh, I grew up in the state of Alabama. Uh, my mom attended Alabama A&M. Uh, so did the majority of my family. Uh, I grew up in the Alabama state, Alabama A&M household and family. You know, my family is split, you know, down the middle. So for me to step out uh, and do something different and go to Southern University, uh, having Alabama A&M was homecoming and it was homecoming uh, because all of my family uh, came to Baton Rouge uh, for that weekend. So uh, having that, uh, you know, having the homecoming festivities, you know, it, it was a plus. And 
Homecoming is different as a, as a ball player. A lot of the activities uh, you kind of miss out on. Um, coaches try to make that week, you know, just like any other game week. Um, so you miss uh, a, a lot of things. Uh, so a lot of uh, the homecoming festivities, uh, I really did get an opportunity to really appreciate, sincerely appreciate, uh, until after I was done playing ball. So, uh, but yeah, but the first one, that, the one that sticks out is definitely the first one. Um, so now I know you guys are two, I guess, graduates of two majors, HBCUs. Um, so how do you keep up that legacy by supporting HBCU, whether that's with time, money, or just mentoring students that you see that, you know, have an interest in your university? Yeah, well, I would say um, that you have to do all three of those. I mean, I, I think each of them plays a part, right? You, you want to see a university thrive. And so how can you do that? One, with your pocketbook. Like if the HBCU produced you to go on and be successful in the world, it's on you, me, and everybody else who graduates from you know their respective institutions to give back. That part of giving back is 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 crucial to our uh, longevity as HBCUs. Uh, secondly, the students, right? So if the university pours into you, you have a responsibility again to back into the students. I felt that way uh, strongly because it was other people who poured into me. So it's kind of like, yeah, great. I made it to this point, but I'm not half of what I am or I'm there in vain if I am not reaching back and helping other students get to where they want to get to um, because you want to see everybody around you uh, thrive. And so Anytime I go back to FAMU's campus, the goal is to always stop by the J School, talk to students, um, making sure that I listen to what they're saying, look at some of their material, because there's some amazing stuff that's being produced. And now with all of the advances and um, all of the different technology at their fingertips, I'm so blown away by what they're able to do. Um, so sky's the limit. So it's exciting for me because it feeds me as well. Like, I, I love that kind of stuff. Uh, it's a joy. To piggyback off Tiffany, you have to do all three. Um, you know, being a part of, you know, the Southern University Alumni Association, um, as well as the, the S Club, the Alumni Association uh, for former, uh, you know, lettermen there. Uh, you know, giving back, you know, uh, time as well as money. Um, I tell anyone, if it wasn't for Southern University, I would not be. Uh, in the position, you know, where I am. I wouldn't be able to navigate uh, some of the waters in the corporate world and, and, and learning, you know, how to do so uh, if it wasn't for Southern University. And, and you know, on the sports side, Southern University, you know, provided me with the opportunity to to do this. Uh, that name recognition, B.J. Jones, that Southern University helped build that. Um, so to be able to not only give back financially, but also spend time with, with students. If, if you follow me on Twitter, uh, Players not only at Southern University but across the HBCU landscape, you know, refer to me as Big Bro. You know, I, I reach out to them and talk to them. Uh, you know, pull them to the side. You know, they may have posted something they probably shouldn't have, uh, but just using that knowledge and and uh, using that time that someone else gave me when I needed it. Uh, but now I'm able to do it. You know, on the internet, uh, not in person, so I'm able to reach uh, more students, uh, reach uh, more kids. Um, so you're you doing that. You, like I say, you give back in multitude of different ways, not only uh, time um, and money, but 
the knowledge that's been passed to you by by others as well. Uh, and it's very important for me. Um, I always say that with me also coaching, you know, high school ball with it's very important that I always wear something that says Southern University or not Southern University, HBCU. Um, it's something that's HBCU centric. That gets conversation going. That gets kids enlightened, uh, enlightened, um, and and it makes the light go go off. Well, they go out and and they research and they investigate, you know, about Southern University of Florida A and M or North Carolina A and T or whoever. So uh, those are the multitude of different ways that I, that I give back. So for Tiffany, uh, during your whole career, even at the collegiate level with being the first female sports director of the Flavor Station, and then now with your work at ESPN, you have really been a role model for Black women getting their footing in sports. So what would you say have been the ups and downs of that? Oh, well, we could spend a whole podcast on some of those ups and downs, <laughs> but I would give you the um, the short version. Obviously, um, the natural thing of, of, of women in sports and and in unfamiliar places in a male dominated space, not only in broadcasting, but talking about sports. And if you never played it, oftentimes people try to challenge you on your knowledge of sports. Um, Look, obviously people see this as a visual medium. So there are a lot of people who always have had something to say about your appearance, whether the camera makes you, you know, adds 10 pounds or, you know, maybe it's uh, an advance of, oh, dang, girl, you're looking good. And this, I mean, you all of that, <laughs> you have to be mindful of. And while some of it is complimentary and some of it is not meant in a malicious way, um, it's still said. And I'm sure guys don't have to necessarily um, hear some of the commentary that I did. And there was also then an ageism piece of it, right? So when I was breaking into the business and I was on the production side and then moved over to the television side in in local in the local news space um it was you know kind of being young and what that meant um so there were just a, a number of different layers to it but the beauty is that i had a, a few people to look up to like a pam oliver like a robin roberts um and then there have been a number of supportive women in the process like right now who have um, helped me reaffirm who I am, you know, just because there has to be a confidence piece. And obviously it gets chipped away at sometimes uh, coming along. And so you have to have thick skin. I know whose I am. I'm a believer. Um, God lifts me up. And so that has all of those components have helped me kind of overcome some of those challenges um, being a black woman in sports. So this question I could pose to both of you all, what are some things you feel like your HBCU has instilled in you to help you be successful in your everyday careers? One of the biggest things is that uh, you represent something bigger than yourself. And I'm very cognizant of that, uh, no matter what I do, um, especially um, in, in the office. Uh, I remember when I started off in the, in the corporate world, I actually started off in the management training uh, position. And one of the things that stood out to me is there were only two brown faces uh, in that room of of 18. And when we went about quoting where we went to uh, college, it was a lot of Alabama, Auburn, uh, you know, Georgia. Uh, And then there was just one Southern University. Um, And I I took it upon myself that I had to be better. Um, I had to be better than everyone else in there because if I did anything, you know, um, that wasn't good or bad, that not only reflected, 
you know, poorly upon me, uh, people that looked on me, but that re- reflected poorly on my institution. Um, so one of the things that, you know, that I've been taught and always instilled is, you know, wherever you go, you represent this great institution and, and what you do, whether positive, positively or negatively, um, is going to reflect back on, on Southern University. And, you know, that's the, the attitude, you know, that, that, that I take. Uh, and it, it has helped. Uh, it's, it's helped me be uh, very successful uh, in that field. I think uh, BJ said it so eloquently. I would add to that a sense of belonging, right? Um, so uh, being able to be a part of a collective uh, and along with your individual brilliance that you bring to the table, um, you get to know who you are from a deeper perspective, in my opinion, when you get a chance to explore and experience on an HBCU campus. Uh, and then also teaching uh, me to stand up and pushing me to stand up and speak up for the things that I want or I believe in uh, and encouraging me, I think, to to be courageous. I mean, there there's just um, an awakening that you have at college or in college rather. Um, so I think people experience that across the board, but really you know, tapping into that sense of, of belonging and who you are and why you are important and instilling um, those pieces um, to who you are. It comes from, I think, the experience that I had at FAMU and, and for everyone else on this call for their experiences um, at their HBCUs. Well, I think now it's time to talk about, I think, everyone's favorite topic, football. Um, we have two greats here, so let's let's really dive into here. Um, so before the season started, the SWAC announced and close to 40 games being televised on ESPN, which you'll more than likely hear Tiffany Tiffany Green calling. Um, and then after the SWAC made an announcement for t- adding more games um, after two weeks before the MIAC and SWAC challenge. So how do you think the addition of Deion Sanders to the SWAC and Eddie George to Tennessee State has to do with the recent rise in popularity of HBCU football? I would say even before they came onto the scene, I think the the social climate in this country also helped to push that agenda as well. And then it was highlighted or, um, you know, given a boost based on the hire of Deion Sanders. I mean, I think his name, his charisma, his in-your-face kind of right there um, helped to, to make people feel uncomfortable. Um, help to promote change in ways where he's calling out the networks and and, and my network in particular um, to to elevate the games so that more people can see the great product that HBCU football has always produced. Um, I think a little bit of, I I say Dion more so than Eddie George, simply because, um, you know, he plays in the OVC. We don't see him as much. And then there's a personality difference. I think they both promote HBCUs in their own respective ways, but naturally, you know, you kind of give a megaphone to Dion uh, because he's able to amplify uh, on a number of different platforms and he has such a a large audience that he's able to grasp. So um, because of, you know, his play in it with, with what happened in this country, I think, um, you know, there was a, there was a greater, um, push or desire to, you know, try to speak to our society as it is now. Yeah, I agree um, 100%. I think you have the, the social awakening 
uh, really after uh, the summer of 2020, uh, there was positive momentum uh, going there. But I think when you throw in the Deion Sanders, his name, his brand, um, you can turn on the, the TV, you see him on Affleck commercials, Subway commercials. Uh, you know, we know what, what prime time uh, is. When you, you bring him in, you bring along some eyeballs that might not have necessarily uh, been paying attention to um, HBCU football. Uh, so I think that that has helped uh, tremendously. And then you throw in Eddie George. And now you had, you know, we had game day, um, you know, to start off the season and, and how well the ratings did there. I think it's it's been a perfect storm. Uh, and I'm happy that we um, have taken advantage uh, of that perfect storm. Um, and I, get, I hope that we continue to uh, ride the wave and this wave grows. Uh, my my uh, hope is that this is just uh, the beginning because we have, Great institutions, uh, great kids, student athletes, band members, alumni. Uh, and I think that the world, I, I know that the world needs to know that and, and see that. So now with the addition of Bethune-Cookman and Florida and them, many people were calling the SWAC a super conference. Now that we're in the middle of the season, is this label true? I can, I can pick up on this one. Um, I, I made this statement on, um, on my show a couple of weeks ago. Um, it, it, it's true. It, it can be true, and, and I will say that it's still in progress. Uh, the definition of a super, super conference is a conference that, that's dominant, right? Uh, and the statement that I made is, if we don't go out and win our non-conference games, um, the opportunities that we have, we're not a super conference. We're just a conference that covers a lot of real estate. Um, so it's very important um, that, you know, with the addition of, of, of Florida A&M and Bethune-Cookman, uh, that when we have these non-conference opportunities, no matter which sport, uh, that we do well. I think that that's something when you start talking about the, uh, we start particularly talk, talking about football, what made the Big Sky a super conference, their ability to step outside of the conference and 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 really dominate against the other FCS conferences. And I think, you know, once we're able to do that, uh, you know, we we hold we're a super conference at that point. You know, we can say that with our our, our chest you know, stuck out because we have would have done it on the field and that win-loss record would reflect that. Yeah, I would agree with that. You know, one of the things where, you know, if you saw the conferences merge together and you had a team like A&T remaining in the conference, you know, they were on that path to doing so. Um, they had knocked off a number of FCS opponents, top 25 um, teams, where if we had all, you know, congealed or joined together, then yes. But I would piggyback and say um, to, to BJ's point that we are not there yet, but we are certainly gaining ground in that regard. So now we've got to talk about marching bands. Um, both of you guys are um, alums of two schools with influential bands that draw their own fans. So now the undefeated ranked FAMU's band number one for Division One schools in our first season rankings. Um, wow, Southern over there for BJ um, ranked fourth. Um, so for our listeners, make sure you check out those rankings on HBCU bands. Um, now a question for both of you guys, since you've traveled all around and seen many HBCUs, um, what has been your favorite band to watch besides um, your schools? Ooh. Okay, so I really enjoy M4. And I'm going to tell you this, because I, I, I had to correct, we had to correct ourselves on air. I kept saying the Magnificent, but they're the musical marching machine of the Mid-South. That's Arkansas Pine Bluff. I can tell you that coming into this season, 
I may not have paid like a ton of attention to M4, but they made me pay attention to them in the spring because uh, they were in the SWAG championship. Uh, Pine Bluff was in the SWAG championship game. They traveled their band. And I was like, wait a minute, who, who are they? What, what, what's going on here? Yes, you know the traditional bands. I have plenty of love. Southern is my favorite, like in the bandstands. They play human jukebox can just rock me back and forth. They could get me jamming. I, I love them for sure. Um, I love the sound of of the sonic boom of the South, just how you know loud they are. Bethune Cookman, they have like my favorite like chant song, Wildcats. Dun, 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 let's go. I know I shouldn't say that as a rattler, but it's true. But it's true. Okay. Every time I'm in, I'm in the booth and I'm like, uh, mm, 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 mm. so it is what it is. I love it. But M4 probably took me by surprise. And um, so they're my like surprise band, a band that I may not have paid much mind to before. Well, let's get some clarification because I don't know what M4 is. So what school is that affiliated with? Oh, that's Pine, that's Pine Bluff, the okay, musical okay. marching machine of the Mid-South. Arkansas Pine Bluff. And Tiffany just helped me out a lot there because I swear I thought it was the magnificent. So I said, I'm just going back to M4. It's going back to M4. <laughs> yep. Uh, for me, um, one of the, the, the bands that kind of caught my eye, I saw them in person, was Norfolk State. Uh, didn't know and did not know that Norfolk, you know, packed the, the punch sound wise that, that, that they do. Um, another one uh, is North Carolina ANT, who's one of the cleanest marching bands, and that drum line is, is unbelievable um, up there. Um, I love Florida AM, just traditionally the marching 100, um, their sound um, and, and, and what, you know, what they look like. I'm a Southern guy, but I love Jackson, love Jackson State. The drum majors, you know, marching in to get ready, just the whole production um, that, that they they put on is, is just simply amazing. But um, my my band that I, I find myself like, okay, okay, is it the Aggies, man, North Carolina A&T, man. They sound great, man, and Cold Steel, that drum line, man, I can watch them all day. Um, and I, I really like them. But, uh, you know, those are the bands that I like to, you know, to watch outside of, you know, the human jukebox. I'll be, I'll be in trouble, Calvin, if I don't say my March of 100. But I think that just goes without saying, you know what I'm saying? But I know Rattler Nation be like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> it's time for Dr. Shelby Chipman. Uh, I got a chance to watch them in Alabama State this past weekend. They had like the fire extinguishers and everything out afterward. They had a shout out to T-Pain, Tallahassee Pain. Um, so, yeah, the March of 100, always so innovative. Yes, music is a key role on campus. You know, I'm the music guy, the rolling fellow, so they always come to me when it comes to music. Uh, you know, I could drop a little bars every once in a while. But, you know, music is essential to the parties, house parties, to strolling. And uh, the band, I really grew up, my mom went to Jackson State, so I know all about the Sonic Movement on the South, Get Ready. That was like the first band. I remember I wanted to play in a band before I wanted to play football. But what is the song that reminds you of your time on campus? Band-wise? Band yes. Or, or, you know, any song. You can do band-wise, well, anything. Uh, uh, dun, dun, dun. SOS. SOS um, for FAMU, because you got, like, the line dance to it as well. So I was a part of the 
Royal Court and then SGA. And so we had like this little line dance that they did to it. So one more time. <laughs> also, after you go through it, you got to go with the like, yeah, mm-hmm. SOS. Ooh, um, see, for Southern outside of Do What You Wanna, it would have to be Swain. Um, that was really the, that was a joint when we, we were in school. Swain, gonna swing, gonna swing to the left, pop, pop. Yeah, that 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 was it. That was the one when when the human jukebox crunk up swing. That means some great things uh, were happening. Uh, it was not not that much of an anthem now, but man, back in those mid two thousands, yeah, that was it. It was, it was definitely swing. It was a time to be alive, as they say. <laughs> <laughs> so for me, you know, Keon usually handles the music, and I really wouldn't be myself without asking a fashion reference. So for me, like I usually if I'm putting my outfit together before I'm going to a homecoming event, if it's not coming together, then I'm staying at home. I know that might sound a little dramatic, but if my outfit is not coming together, then you can find me in the house and not at the function. So on a given day, what would you say is a fashion trend you could see a student on your campus wearing? Uh, It just depends on what region you're from. That's how I would categorize it, because like, you know, being from Florida, like the Miami boys, they would have like their racing jackets on Um, like the DMV folks. They would wear like Parasucos and and Tim's and like all that kind of stuff. Um, And then we had like a fashion show. It felt like at least once a month on the set via you know, images, Epicurean or faces, modeling troops. So um, it, I think it would just depend on the region. But like when you got to those like fashion modeling troops, they were the ones who were pushing fashion forward and kind of going out there with some stuff that you would probably see in the window at one of your high end department stores. Man, back when, when I was on campus, you, you this is like the, the heart of like the snap era. So it was a lot of throwback jerseys and oh god, we, we, we dressed ridiculous uh back then. Now looking back at it, uh with the baggy jeans and the throwback jerseys and then watch that transition uh from kind of like the buttons button ups and you know Air Force Ones, um and kind of you know, watch the transition by the time that I left college. But if you ask me now what the kids are wearing on, on campus, I don't mean to sound old, like I'm only 36, but these kids, the stuff they're wearing on campus now is different. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm just wrapping my head around the hoodies in the summertime, and now we, we've gotten a little cool, and now they're wearing shorts. That completely throws me off. I just don't get it. Maybe I'm just a little bit too old. Uh, but, you know, what they're wearing now is a lot more uh, eccentric uh, compared to what we were wearing back in the day. It's bright. It's very yeah. bright <laughs> um, and tight. Tighter than... You know, for the fellas, it's a little bit tighter than I was maybe used to. I would, you know, probably say that the bag year since would have, I could, I could still rock with that. It's just, it's just different. It's just different. Is it? But it's a see me kind of um, fashion. You know, I sound old. I'll, I'll take, I'll take old there. I'll take old. <laughs> 
Mm. Well, that's it for today's episode. To our audience, thank you for tuning in once again. We're super excited for you all to listen to our next episode. We'd like to give a special thanks to Tiffany Green and BJ Jones for taking the time out to be with us, sharing their experiences. Extra thanks to Parker Owen and the ESPN Digital Audio teams. And don't forget to make The Undefeated your go-to site for the soulful look at sports and entertainment. Have a great week, everyone. Capital One is a proud partner of the Roden Fellows Program which provides opportunities to aspiring sports journalists from historically black colleges, universities to produce content, including this podcast throughout the year. Capital One supports this program as part of their larger commitment to the advancement of students from HBCUs.